HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome to Meet and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Ever since the Times-Picayune broke the news about sexual harassment allegations against New Orleans chef John Besch last fall, the restaurant industry has had to take a hard look at the bad behavior it's tacitly allowed for years. Recently, we've been so encouraged by the many women in the industry actively trying to make the workplace safer and more equitable for everyone. In this episode, you'll hear from some of them about how they're taking a stand to force positive change. First up, Hannah Forden speaks with three women responsible for a provocative new poster. We actually have someone doing the action of a butt grab, like with the little like diagrammatic arrows and everything. And the poster says, in case of sexual harassment, and it proceeds to go through the steps. That's artist Kelly Anderson. We'll come back to her. First, we're going to hear from Karen Lebowitz. You may know her as the co-founder of Mission Chinese. Karen is a problem solver. Her most recent cause dealing with the epidemic of sexual abuse. So I'm in the restaurant business in San Francisco, and at the end of 2017, uh, our community was sort of grappling with a number of high-profile sexual harassment and sexual assault cases. So she approached Carrie Diamond, co-founder and editorial director of Cherry Bomb magazine. She's also the host of Radio Cherry Bomb on HRN. I was at a dinner hosted by Open Table's CEO in San Francisco, and the conversation very quickly turned to Me Too because of what was going on at the time. And I said, Carrie, you should create some kind of poster for the magazine that people could hang up, like we have at the back of the house, posters that let workers know about their rights um, to minimum wage or breaks or a safe workplace. Remember Kelly Anderson? Here's where she joins the story as the poster's designer. Kelly, Karen, and Carrie, the alliterative trifecta, found a perfect design to make the poster both eye-catching and informative. The poster is modeled compositionally after the 1989 Department of Health New York City choking poster, which had this very strange, iconic Bauhaus design where everything's on a diagonal um, and it's very boxy. Usually it says, uh, in case of 
choking victim and then proceeds to give the steps in this very dry, iconic, back of your airplane seat instructions with those little iconic characters and how to like dislodge food from someone's throat. And so instead we put in someone being sexually harassed. The poster is available in English, Spanish, and Chinese. It features a gender and racially neutral figure in chef's clothing with their back to us and an unwelcome hand reaching out to grab them. So often being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control and can feel like choking, in fact, um, where you lose your voice and you kind of feel like you can't breathe. And so I wanted to have these very real-world, tangible guides to say, here's what you can do as next steps. You'll be seeing the poster up in restaurants around the country. If you're experiencing sexual harassment at work, additional resources can be found at timesup.com or eeoc.gov. You can download a free digital version of the sexual harassment poster or order a print at cherrybomb.com. That's B-O-M-B-E. Just click over to the 86 This tab. Summer's finally coming to New York City, so you may have other thoughts on taking a stand or perhaps taking up a lemonade stand. We asked the HRN team to share their thoughts on that rite of passage for so many tender-aged entrepreneurs. When I was a kid, I had lemonade stands. Uh, I wasn't very successful. I mean, you got to just hope that somebody comes by and wants to pluck down a quarter. And my day was a quarter for maybe even cheaper, maybe a nickel. That was HRN finance correspondent and CPA, Joanne Flash Fleming. She'll share some tips for squeezing success out of a lemonade stand. But first, we'll hear from Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network, and his eight-year-old daughter, Moxie. The lemonade stand traces its roots to the late 19th century, and it remains fairly unchanged. Usually run by children, it is a summertime activity, as well as a lesson in economic theories like supply and demand, pricing, labor, profit and loss, marketing, and more. While in many jurisdictions it violates numerous laws, including child labor and health department requirements, punishment is rare. In a world where entrepreneurship has gained cultural, if not always economic, value, the lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into, and requires little experience or special equipment. However, as one economist dryly pointed out, they usually aren't a good case study because they don't pay rent or utilities and often rely on family relationships for free help or customer base. Okay, say your name, please. Moxie Rosenblum. Moxie, have you ever played the 1979 Apple computer game Lemonade Stand? Oh yeah, I recently played it. And what did you learn? Were you successful at running a lemonade stand in the computer? Yeah, some days I only I I made like six cups and only and sold like zero. So I learned my lessons. And some sunny days I made more cups than on rainy days because more people are going to want lemonade if it's sunny and hot. So Moxie, having run a lemonade stand in the laboratory of a computer, do you have any tips for people running? real live lemonade stands? Or did you learn anything that you think is applicable? My one piece of advice for you guys out there wanting to run a lemonade stand is look at the weather before you are like, okay, let's make so many cups. And if it's going to be rainy, you have all these extra cups of lemonade. 
it had to taste good. You know, people are very kind. Your neighbors will give you just the money because you're doing something. But if it tastes good, you're going to sell more. So the key is to make sure it tastes good. I don't care if you're 8 or 80 or 18 or whatever. Coming up next, why a Japanese chain of stand-up steakhouses decided to change their style. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long-chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome back to Meet and Three. I'm your host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. All this talk about taking a stand inspired us to finally check out Ikinari, the steakhouse without chairs that opened to great fanfare in Manhattan's East Village last year. They serve what they call fresh-aged steak. It's vacuum-sealed and aged for 40 days in a chiller. Then it's cut to order and weighed on a scale, just like a butcher shop. So, did Ikinari spark a standing-room-only revolution at New York City restaurants? It did not. In fact, all seven Ikinari locations in Manhattan offer chair service now. We couldn't help but wonder why. Are most New Yorkers just too lazy to stand for a meal? Hideki Kawano, the president of Ikinari Steak USA, explained the situation through a translator. Ikinari Steak is steak. First, in Japan, ikinari steak started as standing. The problem was that when we make thick steaks, it gets more expensive. How can we offer it at half the price? The trick was to increase the turnover rate, so that's why we started standing. Ikinari serves a lunch of a 7-ounce steak, soup, salad, and rice for just $10. The company originally assumed that busy office workers would be their main customers, but when the tasty steak and the low prices appealed to more than just suits, they decided to give chairs a try. One of the requests we heard the most was that people wanted to sit down. Overall, people are more comfortable with chairs. We're able to accommodate children and families now. I had another burning question about the stand-up format. Are there any health benefits to eating while standing? There isn't a lot of research on the subject, but gastroenterologist Dr. Nicole Shen of New York Presbyterian and Weill Cornell Medicine had some insight. Standing up to eat burns more calories than sitting and may reduce symptoms of reflux. Sitting down leads to a more relaxed perception of time, slower meal consumption, and increased feelings of satisfaction. So you may consume fewer calories. Ultimately, though, there isn't a clear health case for either position. Whether you sit or stand to enjoy your steak, the best thing you can do for your health is to pause and enjoy it. For our final story this week, we turn to Kat Johnson, our communications director, to catch up with another dynamic group of women taking a stand for equity in the food industry. 
When it came time to explore the theme of taking a stand, one of our hosts came to mind. My name is Corsha Wilson, and I'm a food writer and a podcast host on the Heritage Radio Network. I host a podcast called A Hungry Society. Before joining HRN, Corsha ran A Hungry Society as a blog. I would write about the lack of diverse voices in the food media landscape. And she's built a strong Twitter following by sharing her viewpoints on current news and food. Like when Chef's Table only chose to feature one woman on their pastry mini-season. Where they were like, oh, well, we couldn't find a chef of color or more women with compelling narratives, which is absurd. First of all, when we talk about the pastry world, it's filled with women. So what do you mean you could only find one woman who was quote-unquote interesting? This wasn't an isolated incident. Last year, Eater published pie charts representing the gender breakdown at 28 major food events in 2017, from festivals and conferences to national awards. Not a single one, except for the Eater Young Gun Awards, had even 40% female representation. One of the festivals on that list is Charleston Wine and Food, which we at HRN have participated in for three years running. I got in touch with Jillian Zettler, the festival's executive director, to see what her team is doing to address the gender disparity. We work really, really hard to try to make sure that we have a diverse lineup um, of talent that we bring in for the festival. But the reality is that diversity has to be intentional. And no matter what's in your heart and no matter how diverse you want something to be, there are, there are things that we need to recognize that can be roadblocks for that happening. While the lack of diversity at many of these events isn't intentional, it doesn't go unnoticed. I kind of find it predictable. You know what I mean? So I'm used to it. But that is something that I don't think anyone should be used to. This is Clancy Miller. I am a food writer and pastry chef. Like Korsha, Clancy has a background in both professional kitchens and in food writing. Her book, Cooking Solo, came out in 2016, so she spent the past couple of years on the event circuit. So yeah, those kind of things, panels, parties, and noticing it's the same people over and over again. And it's always nice to be invited, but it's like, do you know there are about 100 other people you could invite? Or more, times 10. (laughs) The question became, what can be done to change the status quo? After last year's Cherry Bomb Jubilee, one of the few food events featuring only women, Clancy met up with a few of her friends. We were talking about how can we inject more people of color and more progressive issues in the food scene. Fast forward a few months and Julia emails us and is like, hey, I have this idea and for a database, and would you all be willing to be on the advisory board? I am Julia Tertian. You may know Julia from her most recent cookbook, Feed the Resistance. I have been involved in, in writing cookbooks for my whole career. It's the only thing I've ever done. And it became very clear to me, you know, how uh, just white <laughs> cookbooks are, um, from authors to editors to photographers to food stylists. And when it really sank in for me, I, I felt really determined, and I still feel really determined to do, you know, whatever I can to help shift that and um, in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable. So in her book, Feed the Resistance, which is like a compilation of um, a bunch of people who are doing really cool work, there's an essay by uh, Shakira Simley in Oakland, where she talks about how 
People with privilege need to, instead of being an ally, be an accomplice. And that means not just, you know, saying, oh, you know, I'm here for you and I, I believe in you, but actually sacrificing some of that comfort to be an accomplice in the fight for liberation. And I think that Julia does that with E. Equity at the Table, a.k.a. EAT, with two T's, is uh, easy to navigate digital directory uh, for women and non-binary individuals in food, and it focuses primarily on people of color and the queer community. It allows you to just, when you log on, just see people who maybe you weren't familiar with before because it is randomized. So each time you log on, it's a, it's a fresh experience. Absolutely. Um, I wanted it to be like really easy to find people. I also wanted it to be kind of inexcusable not to. So in April of 2018, Equity at the Table launched, and it didn't take long to have a tangible impact. There have been quite a number of success stories ranging from, I know you've spoken with Jasmine Moy, who just had my favorite tweet the day Eat launched, um, which was she already got contacted by someone just, you know, within hours of, of the site launching. My name is Jasmine Moy, and I have my own law practice, and I primarily work in the hospitality industry. I get cold call emails a couple times a month, but this person had said specifically, I found you on the EAT database. I need a lawyer. Can you help me? Korsh has also been contacted by someone who found her on EAT. So I actually had a restaurant group reach out to me, and they're expanding, and they asked me to help them with some website copy. And while speaking to Jillian Zettler, she explained that Charleston Wine and Food is planning to use EAT to diversify their 2018 lineup. You know, it it really shows the the greater um, the, the greater good. Like it's possible. Like we can have 50-50 representation um, at the festival of men and women, and you know, and that's a goal. So what we're going to do is is try to use eat as another mechanism to make it really easy to find all these really talented women that are out there. I've heard of other people have hired you know photographers and writers through it, which is is great. And I would say another measure of success um, in a maybe less obvious way is just the sort of internal connections happening. Not only is it for organizers and editors and whatever to see that, you know, oh, there is no excuse for being like, I couldn't find someone. But also as a a person of color or a non-binary person who's working in food to know that you're not alone, to know that there are other butchers or um, professional speakers or vintners or whatever in the food landscape that look like you and that maybe care about the same stuff that you could reach out to, that you could connect with. I am so happy with um, just the range of um, of people and professions and um, ages and backgrounds and you know, it's a site for everyone, and it's on the internet, so there's you know as much space as, as we need. Um, you know, we can always add someone, and uh, the more we grow, I think the more it's it's just so obvious and clear that um, you know women and non-binary individuals who work in food and, and support those who work in food are everywhere. Equity at the Table is an ever-expanding database, and if you're interested in being included, you can go to equityatthetable.com and fill out their brief form.
that's it for this week's show. Do you know someone who deserves the spotlight for taking a stand? Write us anytime at ideas at meetn3.nyc. That's all spelled out. Be sure to save some room on your plate for Meet and 3 every Friday afternoon. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks this week to Joanne Fleming, Harry Rosenblum, Moxie Rosenblum, and Korsha Wilson. Meet and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineers are David Tadashore and Vitor Hirsch. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Tune in next week for a new episode of Meet and 3. We're talking water woes. 